you know, you've taught me my whole life, mom and dad, trust God. So I'm asking you, I'm now reversing the question back to you. Do you trust God that God knows what child he has for our family? And the answer was, well, yes. Then okay, then let's go on this journey together. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's outreach and communications admin. We are excited you are joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Dance Works of Waxahachie. They are transforming lives by using the gift of dance to bring light to the world. Find out more about Dance Works at danceworkswax.net. We are grateful to Dance Works for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everybody, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I am so glad you're with us. Uh, my guest today is Jared Cornett. Jared grew up in Rainbow City, Alabama. For the past three years, he has called the DFW area home, serving as the senior pastor of Plymouth Park Baptist Church in Irving, Texas. He and his wife, Candace, have been married eight years. They have two children. Andrew, a blessing of adoption, and William, a blessing of biology. They are once again starting that adoption journey. Jared has won over 20 contests in his life. Uh, and you can tell being named Armchair Quarterback of the Year in 2012 is still a fan favorite. He loves being a pastor. Jared's story is an example of God's kindness to him. He joins me today because he believes in TBHC's ministry and desires to strongly advocate for orphan care. Jared, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Yeah, Jason, thanks for asking me to be on. It's a privilege and honor for me to be here. Well, same here, man. Well, you're at my uh, former church where I served as kid and family pastor. And right. uh, that was, it feels like a lifetime ago, but it was such strong memories. And my family was established there. We mm. adopted there ourselves. And it's kind of where our adult story began. So it's it's really cool to see you there. I, I want to ask you about this armchair yeah. award, though. Let, let's go to that first. Tell us a little bit about what <laughs> an armchair quarterback is and how you got it. An armchair quarterback is a guy that sits in the armchair recliner and thinks he knows something about football uh, more than the coaches and things like that. So I went to the University of Alabama. If your listeners listen to college football, they know Alabama's pretty good at college football. And this whole state of Alabama takes football very seriously. So the local CBS station had a contest for the armchair quarterback of the year. They did 10 weeks of it. And I just entered it one week. I wrote this really obnoxious like bio about me. And I ended up winning the, the weekly award. So I got to go down to Birmingham, be interviewed by the news station, won the stuff, and then they did a contest for out of the 10 winners, who was the best armchair quarterback? Because we gave analysis and stuff like that. And my buddy worked for CBS. He said, by the way, you can vote as many times as you want in one day. So I had a friend who was a computer science major at Alabama. He wrote an algorithm for me that constantly had my computer voting for me over and over and over again. So I won by like 10,000 votes uh, to be this. And there was like maybe – 15,000 votes total uh, right, in this competition. So I won. I won two free tickets to the Iron Bowl, which I sold because I had student tickets. They have a college uh, game day set up, like a uh, TV set up at the stadium. I got to sit down and do an interview before the game. I remember they asked me, like, what chances Auburn have winning this game? And I said, the only way that Auburn's going to win this game is if Nick Saban takes Alabama to the away locker room and dresses them in the Auburn uniform. That's the only chance they got to win. So 
very obnoxious. Um, Might have cheated the one win, but I was told by the CBS guy to do that. And uh, I won. So I got some money, won some gift cards, and got to be on TV. So that was cool. Wow, uh, what an epic story <laughs> of uh, getting your way to the top. That's, right. uh, that's really fun. Uh, I love that. Well, let me ask you about you know one of our loves, and that's Plymouth Park. Mm. What has been yeah. the most impactful experience you've had as the senior pastor of Plymouth Park? So this is going to sound weird, but I think the way I would answer that would be the pandemic. And that's, that's a very weird answer. But through the pandemic, I was here for a year. And at my one-year anniversary, it was, hey, we're not having church. Uh, we're going to be online only. And in that year, really at six to eight months, where we were really, you know, masked and locked down, we were online for a while, I really got to know our people in a way that perhaps I didn't know before. Uh, I remember on my 30th birthday, over 75 people in the church drove by my house had a big parade for me. I just felt the love of the church. We called, uh, we, we made a list between all the ministers. We called all of our members. I called everybody in the church during that time. Just to talk to them, see how they're doing. We, we mourned with some families who lost people. We mourned with families who lost very close ones. We, we walked alongside families who were suffering during that time. And so I feel like I had a chance to be their pastor in a way that without the pandemic, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. Not to say that I love the pandemic. The pandemic was hard. It was difficult. I had to make decisions that I never knew I had to make. But I feel like on the other side of it, the church saw my love for them, and I saw their love for me. And let me tell you, this is, you know this. This is a church that loves not just their pastor, all their staff. They love all their pastors. And I just feel so privileged. I told somebody just this the other day. I was at a conference, and they said, what's one thing about your church that you would say about it? And I said, I wish every guy had the privilege to pastor this church or a church like this. There hasn't been controversy. There hasn't been fighting. There hasn't been anything like that. We opened the word. We worshiped together. We just celebrated baptism this past week. And it's just a privilege to be their pastor. And I, I, I'm looking forward to being here as long as God will have me here because a lot of guys have got it rough, but it's truly a blessing to get up every day and pastor this church. Well, praise God for that. That's great to hear. A lot of good people there. So excited to have you on and how yes. about we get into it? Tell us your bringing kids home story. Yeah. So, you know, my wife and I, we met in college uh, and we both had a unique experience early in our lives for my wife in particular. She had a, a child in her neighborhood who obviously did not look like her parents. And she asked her mom, like, Hey, how does that happen? And her mom told her that that child is adopted. Here's what adoption is. And she decided at a young age, 10, 11, I want to do that. There's kids in need of a home. I want to do that one day. It was a little bit longer for me to realize that we, I wanted to adopt. It actually happened on a mission trip in Zimbabwe. A mom comes up to me in this village that we're at. She hands me her baby. I'm playing with him very playfully. I'm 21 years old. I just thought she'd just give me the child to hold. She was walking away weeping. And actually, our, our person of peace comes, takes the child in my hands, goes talk to the mom, and comes back and says, look, she was giving you that child. She recognized you as a white American man. She feels like you could give that child a better life. I was a junior in college. I mean, I had no idea how to raise a child. But this woman literally gave me her child out of love, and I just realized there is a need in this world. So when Candace and I were dating in college, I eventually had to say, hey, I need to let you know about something that's on my heart that if you're not on board with, we need to figure this out now because I'm going to do this. And it's just a story of God's sovereignty knitting us together that we both had this desire to adopt in our hearts. And that was really affirmation for both of us that, that God has brought us together. We, we, we want the same things for our family. So 
in 2016, uh, Candace was getting close enough to the age to where she could legally adopt from India. India, we decided to adopt from India, one, because we met the age requirements, and two, the need is just massive. Uh, One-fifth of the world's orphans live in India. Conservatively, they say 30 million orphans in, are in India alone. It, it's probably much higher than that, honestly. And uh, so we, we started going through the process. And for us, adoption, it was always plan A. That's how we wanted to start our family. And we would try to have bio kids after that. And so we, we went through the process. We matched with a little boy in August of 2017. And uh, it was a little bit of a journey doing court and all these different things. But we had the privilege in July of 2018 to travel to India, to Pandapur, India, where our son is from, uh, Andrew. And we went and uh, brought him home as our, our first child. We named him Andrew Fuller Cornut because, well, I'm writing my dissertation on Andrew Fuller, and Andrew Fuller is the pioneer of the modern missions movement. So uh, we name our kids after the Baptists in our house. And uh, Andrew Fuller helped send William Carey to India as the first missionary to India. And so I just feel like Andrew Fuller has got these ties to India. I obviously love him as a pastor. I want to name my first son after him. So we, we brought Andrew home. Uh, he knows the, the story of his name and how he got that. And our plan was is after – maybe a year of having Andrew home, we would uh, try to have a child biologically and God and his uh, own way, who knows how to plan better for families than we know how to plan better for families. A month after we got home, we were pregnant with another little boy. And so uh, we decided to name him William Carey Cornut. William Carey and Andrew Fuller are really, they were best friends. William Carey uh, decided he was going to go to India. He actually pushed Andrew Fuller into the modern research movement saying we, we really need to be about evangelism of the world. And, the story goes, Andrew Fuller said basically William Carey was staring at basically an open cave that you would go down into. And he said, uh, I will go down into the cave if you will hold the rope. And Andrew Fuller said, he decided in that moment, I will hold the rope. And for the rest of his life, if you read about Fuller, he spends the rest of his life raising money to keep William Carey and then several other missionaries overseas. He's the secretary of the Baptist Missionary Society. And he spends the rest of his life pastoring and Kettering and raising money as the secretary of the Baptist Missionary Society, raising up missionaries, sending them. And so our kids have these this unique name. They're, they're very American names, or, or even British, if you would say. You know, the British royalty, Andrew and William. Uh, but Andrew Fuller and William Carey have deep, deep ties to India. And it's really unique in that our, our white son and our brown son have this unique um, connection through that. And my prayer is that they would be best friends. And let's see, William will be – uh, three on Friday. Andrew will be six in August, and they are best friends. They scheme together, they plot together, they get in trouble together. Uh, but it is so cool to see them as brothers in that. And so that's that's just kind of the journey of how we went about adoption. It was just a burden on our hearts that there are so many orphans in the world, and we are a family that is able and a family that is willing, and we are committed. And so we want to we want to we want to go and do that. And a lot of people ask, you know, why not adopt from you know, the United States, or why, why do you choose their national adoption? That, all I can answer is that's the burden that was placed on our hearts. Everybody's burden is different. I know you've adopted here uh, uh, nationally, and I think that's a great thing, and that's not out of the cards for us down the road, but we just felt like at this point in our life, this is what we were called to do, and I pray that God would raise up so many families that want to adopt that there's not a need in the United States. We have to do international because we're doing so well at home taking care of our children, uh, which is a massive thing. We need more foster care parents. We need more Adopt the, uh, adopting parents. So that's our story. Uh, and now we're, we're adopting again from India. We uh, decided it's time to grow our family once more. And so we, we've started the process in that. We're 
kind of going through that COVID stone that through a loop, but we knew that, that adoption was not a one-time thing for us, that we wanted to continue to do it for a lot of different reasons. Two, we didn't, one, we didn't really want our son, Andrew, to, to be the only one that looked different in our family. We just, we wanted him to have somebody in his family he could look at and say, we look the same. And, and two, we just felt like that calling in our lives was not complete, that there were still many orphans and our task was to make one less. And uh, we're not perfect parents by any means. We get a, a lot wrong in it. Uh, but adoption has probably, outside of salvation and marriage, has been the greatest blessing in my life. Uh, to sit there and to talk to my son. I mean, I wake up every day thankful for a mom in India that I will never know. I will never know her. But I'm thankful that she made a way possible for me to have the privilege of being the father of her son and my wife, the, the mother of her son. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. John Piper says adoption is the gospel made visible. And we're having those conversations with Andrew right now because he's getting five, six. He's asking, you know this, you do children's ministry for forever. He's asking questions. And we're able to use his story to say, this is what God does for us. Andrew, you, you're adopted physically, but we want you to be adopted spiritually. That's our greatest desire. So uh, you, you feel free to ask anything that you want to ask about that. But that's kind of our story on adoption. Now, that's awesome, man. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is just digging into a little bit, going back to your process, you know, what mm -hmm. uh, the culture shock of, of going yeah. to a different country to adopt a child. And, and I remember hearing from your story that pretty much you got a picture yeah. and you didn't get any other information <laughs> until you showed up to India. Yeah. Uh, kind of delve into that a little bit for us. Right. So this is just kind of the way it works in India. It, it depends on the saw. The saw is the guy that runs the orphanage. And so when we match with Andrew, you know, we get all his medical forms that we were able to send to the international adoption clinic and have that looked over just to kind of understand the medical needs that our child's going to have when we come home and maybe what he's got right now going on with them. And so, and they sent a picture and that, yeah, that was great. And that was the last picture we got until a week before we traveled, we got his passport picture. So you can imagine a difference in, in 10 months between a, the first picture we got of him, he was 10 months old. The next picture we got of him, he was almost two. And so you don't really get any information. We, at Christmas time, so we, we emailed him, hey, can you send us a picture or can we send a video to him or is there anything? And it was just dead silence. And so what you have to do is really lean and trust on God during that time. I mean, you're completely dependent upon the saw to go to court, to advocate for you once you've been granted. I mean, we were granted uh, – guardianship for over two and a half months before he finally went to go get the passport it's like if you would just go we could we could come and travel and it, it's crazy and then we get to the orphanage i mean we travel out there this is the, i mean it's the craziest deal so we fly to mumbai india and he is in pandapur which is normally like a four-hour drive from mumbai but it ends up being an eight nine hour drive because his city is a pilgrimage city and it's the month of the pilgrimage to this hindu temple and there's over one million hindus walking down the interstate to get to a city so we have to take these back roads ends up being this eight hour drive it's absolutely wild and bananas just cows are over the road i don't know where they don't i don't think our driver knows where we're going half the time and we got like a guy with our adoption agency that's a local that's with us that the driver is just a guy that we've hired and it's like i hope we get there <laughs> and I'll never forget, we walk into the orphanage, the, you know, we spent the night there, we go to the orphanage, and we spent 45 minutes there, and that was it. Uh, first 30 minutes was signing paperwork, going over everything, they brought him in, he was tiny. Uh, in fact, Andrew was not 
on the growth chart. He was in the zero percentile when we brought him up. Now he's in the, I think the 50 percentile, 50 or 60. He's actually grown a ton. It's been a work of God in his life. But they bring him in. They sit him in our lap. We hold him. We tell him that we love him. He tells the people in the orphanage, bye. And 10 minutes later, we're in a car leaving with this child who's never seen white people in his life. And we're now his parents. And let me tell you, that was, it was crazy. Uh, in fact, he had never had like a bath before. And so like a bath, like in a bathtub. So the first night we tried to give him a bath in the bathtub and Pune, and boy, it was like it, traumatic for him. Uh, and it was really unique, but here's what was really cool about it. The, the, the cool thing about it, it, you know, it takes a while for a child to bond to a parents to adoption. Andrew bonded pretty quickly, but I remember about the third night or third day, Candace had to go do some paperwork. I sit at the hotel in Delhi and she said, try to get him down for a nap. And he just, he was not having it. In fact, Andrew starts screaming out his caregiver's name. And he's weeping, weeping, weeping and calling out her name. I'm going, did we make a mistake? Because the orphanage that he was in, he was loved. It was very obvious that he was loved and taken care of. They didn't have all the resources they needed to take care of children, but they had love and they gave love and they, they loved him. And so I'm sitting there going, he wants her. What kind of mistake did we make? If we, it, did we ruin this child's life? But we were home in Alabama about a month later, about midnight. And um, like trucks do in Alabama sometimes, our neighbor at midnight, his truck backfires. And uh, it scares him at midnight. And he wakes up screaming, Dada, Dada, Dada. So I go to his room, and I pick him up, and the second I hold him, he just collapses. In the and he rests like he had never rested before because he knew this is my dad, and my dad takes care of me. And he went to sleep. And that was the moment I realized he's really accepted me as his father. And that's the cool thing about adoption. We see it in our spiritual adoption, but in that physical, that moment that he called out for me, that, that, that was the comfort that he saw. It was no longer his former caregiver. It was his dad that he wanted. And when his dad came to him, because dad's always going to take care of him. He knows that, um, you know, with adoption, abandonment is very real. Uh, it was tr uh, hard for him to go to the nursery at church or anything like that. And we would always tell him, Andrew, mom and dad, we always come back. And we, to this day, tell him that. We always come back for you. And he knows that now. Uh, but that was a cool moment for us. That, that trip was, it was a whirlwind. I ate some food that I hope I never eat again in my life. Uh, uh, I try to eat Indian food for his sake, but it, it's difficult for me. And we went through, uh, you think there's back roads in Texas, back roads in India. Let me tell you, that is something that you never want to experience. Uh, but looking back on it, it was all grace. Every moment of it was grace. And I'm thankful for it. Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, Donor Engagement Manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parents' training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, 
and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. Yeah, I, I love hearing that. When you contemplate how far he's come, yeah. I mean, I don't want to jump too far in the future, but what's some moments in the past you can look at and put a pin in and say, that was a really special moment as an adoptive dad? I think some of the most special moments have been when he's asked me to do certain things um, in, in acknowledgement of his past. So I remember we were in the car not long ago, and he was asking me to sing a song for him. I'm not a very good singer. Uh, but I was there, uh, but he wants me to sing. And uh, I always ask him this question. I'll say, Andrew, who loves you? And he'll say, my dad loves me. And I'll say, how much does your dad love you? He said, my dad loves me so much. And he, he asked me in the car, he said, he said, William was in mommy's belly. I said, that's right. He said, I was in another lady's belly, but she couldn't take care of me. I said, that, that's right, buddy. He goes, but you and mommy could take care of me. And that's why you came and got me because you love me so much. I said, that's right, son, because I love you so much. And so it's just seeing this unadulterated love that he has for me. We were in the car again the other day. It seems like these moments always happen in the car. And uh, he said, hey, you said you were going to do this. I said, I did say I was going to do that, Andrew, but we had to change plans. Will you forgive me? He said, I'll always forgive you. Now, I know that's not true. He's not always going to forgive me, right? Um, but it's just it's just moments like that. I have the – I'm Coach Dada. You know, I coach his T-ball team. And uh, just the other night, uh, last night at church, they were telling a story in their Wednesday night, and they got to pick one special person to be in the story with them. He said, I want my dad to be in the story with me. That's just, I mean, it makes me want to cry, just thinking of that, how far he has come. Um, he knows he's different. He, he'll, he told me the other day, he goes, I hope I go to school with somebody with skin like me and curly hair like me. And he knows that his grandparents don't look anything like him, but, man, he has such pure love for his family. And I pray that he always has that. Yeah, no, I love hearing that. Well, that kind of leads to that next question of attachment. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we have gotten through the last several years and your, your mom and dad, yeah. you know, really everyone who's might be listening might be thinking, how does a child go from your strangers in the home? I don't want to have anything to do with you. And now I'm identifying with you because that's really what's beautiful about adoption is yeah. it's no longer just a, mm -hmm. a statement of fact that, oh yeah, they're the people who are raising me. It's, I identify with them. They are my mom and dad. I belong to them yeah. and they belong to me. Uh, kind of go into what that journey looked like and kind of where you are today. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he, honestly, he attached really fast. He started using mama for Candace while we were still in India. And, and of course, he didn't know what that meant. You know, he spoke a different language at that time. Uh, but I think the, the way it made the most sense, I think for him, my wife was working when we brought him home. And so the church I worked at, he would go to church with me, but he would go to Mother's Day out there, and then I would pick him up. And I think after about it, because it was traumatic dropping him off. It was hard, hard, hard. But I think after about a week when he realized, hey, they, they do come back for me, and they, they do take care of me. And they do all these things. I think there's just something that clicked in his little two-year-old brain that he realized we are the ones that he finds comfort in. And I think what really took it off, Andrew does not like thunderstorms. And springtime in Alabama, you get a lot of thunderstorms. And I remember early and in the summer too, and we brought him home, probably about two weeks before we home, there was a bad, bad thunderstorm. And it scared him. And so we just put him in the bed with us. We snuggled up. And I think that was really the turning point for him to realize these are the – these are my people. Uh, it doesn't hurt that we gave him some Chick-fil-A along the way and some other good food and spoiled him. I mean, he was the first grandchild on either side. So that boy was 
spoiled so much. Uh, but I, I feel like that was it for me. He couldn't really communicate it with an older child. They could communicate it easier. There's no question now. We're mom and dad. And since he's been able to verbalize and talk, there's never been a question that he'll – I hear him tell his friends, that's my mom and my dad and all that. And he knows he's adopted. He knows he looks different. He knows he, he's not our biological child. But he knows that we're mom and dad and we're for him and that um, there's nothing I've, – I've told him that so many times, Andrew, there's nothing you could ever do. There's nothing that ever happened that would make you not my son. You are my son. And before the foundations of the earth, God ordained it that you would be my son. And uh, it's just been beautiful to see him come to understand that as he has aged. And, uh, man, it's just a blessing of God in life because I think we do the same thing with God. Uh, when we give ourselves to God, there's still this kind of how much do we trust him. And I'm at a point now in my walk with God that I have utter trust that whatever God ordains is right. Whatever God brings my way, pain, trial, joy, excitement, it's all right. And he's going to take care of me. He's going to work it out for my good either on this side of heaven or on the other side. And it's kind of cool to see Andrew come to that acknowledgement in his own physical life with us as his parents. Yeah, that's really great. I have a, basically a, a operational theory on my life. It's the same lessons learned a million different ways over and over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, because I, I, I require that. And maybe I belonged in the Old Testament when them uh, knuckleheads kept disobeying <laughs> God. Yeah. Man, over and over and over <laughs> again. Uh, what is, what is one particular story that stands out to you about the whole family, uh, extended family, their reactions, their responses over the years? I know spoiling obviously, but what, what's something that yeah. stands out the, the joy of adoption for the entire extended family? I think the joy for me has not been one singular moment, but has been the process. So, uh, when we told both grandparents, they were excited that we were adopting, but there was a lot of questions. Nobody in our family never adopted before. You know, why are you doing this? Hey, what does this look like? What do you mean there might be special need? What are all these things? And so there was a lot of reservations and questions that I think were okay that they asked. It was mysterious to them. But when I, when we brought that boy home, they were at the airport. Everything was laid to the side. There was pure love and let me tell you my my andrew adores my dad my papa is just his favorite he'll say to me out of the blue hey will papa cook his steaks on christmas well andrew if you ask papa to do it he's probably gonna do it well papa take me golfing yeah papa papa will probably do it and so it's been so cool because not everybody has this but i had I, I grew up in a christian home with parents that just loved me and showered me with love and now I'm getting to watch my dad, not as a father, but as a grandfather, just really flourish in that. And even with Candace and the parents, too, they're, they're in the same mode of life. And our kids are the only grandkids on my parents' side. Now there's another grandchild on my, my in-law's side. But I think it's just to kind of see the process of this love. that my, I'm getting cha I, I get in trouble with my parents because I don't FaceTime enough. Jared, you need to FaceTime us and call. We want to see those boys. And there is no difference in Andrew. Uh, to them he is as much their grandchild as William is and it's kind of it's, it's been cool to me to see that because when you grow up in rural Alabama adoption is not very common you don't see a lot of it and to see my parents just embrace it and love it and now that we're adopting again they're just thrilled they think it's the greatest thing ever and so it's the, it's just the whole process of seeing it um, I think the coolest moment was taking Andrew to an Alabama football game when he was two that's what I grew up doing my dad 
that would take me to Bama football games. We had season tickets since I was three. And just watching – my dad's love is Alabama football. That's what he loves. Uh, and that's what he and I bond over, we talk about. And in the middle of that game, my dad was not watching the game. He was playing with his grandson. And that, that was bringing a joy to him like I hadn't seen to my dad. And I just thought, this is it. And you're, Obviously, this little boy is a greater love than this. And that was a cool moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's dig into that yeah. because I think you have some advice to give yeah. someone. How do you navigate that first conversation with the extended family? What, how did you prepare or mm. what uncertainties did you face? Because if I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, man, we feel called to adopt, but I don't know how to approach mm-hmm. the subject with my mom and dad or my sisters or brothers or whatever. How would you advise someone who is getting ready to have this conversation? One, pray about it a lot. Just pray that God would soften the hearts, open the hearts of anybody that you may think that it may be difficult. We didn't really feel like it'd be difficult with our parents, but we thought there'd be a lot of questions. And then we just went and prepared. We said, look, this is what we're doing. This is the, we actually just laid, this is the process. This is what's going to happen. This is the potential and special needs our child may have. Um, and they, they started asking questions, you know, what about this? What about that? Cause you know, they've heard stories about adoption and things like that. And we just ultimately told them, do you trust God? You know, you've taught me my whole life, mom and dad, trust God. So I'm asking you, I'm now reversing the question back to you. Do you trust God that God knows what child he has for our family? And the answer was, well, yes. Then, okay, then let's go on this journey together. And, um, and now on the other side of it, we see how foolish we would have been not to trust, trust God. He brought us the exact child that we needed at the exact time in our life that is that is our son. And so that's what I would just, Hey, pray really hard about it. Know what you're going to share, go in prepared for it and just let your family know, Hey, I'm all in on this. Like there's nothing you can say to change my mind. So I'm asking you to get on board with it and to support us and be for, and then we equipped our parents. We gave them resources like, Hey, look, we're not going to spank him because we don't know about his past. And so we're going to go about different discipline. And you guys can't do that too. Of course, our grandparents never raised their voice against the kid. You know, he gets everything he wants. Um, we have given them books to inform them on trauma that adoptive kids go through. We've given them statistics on older, uh, we've given them, um, you know, there's some Facebook groups. We've asked them to join where adoptees share their experiences. And we want you to be aware. This is stuff that Andrew's going to think about and go through. And we don't want you to think it's not happening. It happens. And the more equipped and prepared they are, the more that can help you. Because now my parents are going on, well, how can we pray for you through this? So it's not even just praying for the grand. They know that, hey, it's not easy on the parents either. And so it's been a blessing because of that. So I just be prepared, do the research, equip them, do as much as that you can do, and then trust God, do the rest. Yeah, that's great advice. One of the things that adoption is so powerful about doing is the illustration of the gospel. And I know that you've already talked about that today, Mm -hmm. but let's just dig into that real quick. It's, it's the most beautiful expression of what Jesus has done. This physical manifestation Mm -hmm. of, of adoption. It is the gospel. Yeah. The way I always connect it is through through Ephesians. I always say, look, this is, this is what happened. Uh, I pursued Andrew when Andrew did not know me. He didn't know me. He didn't know his mom, but we pursued after him. And it was a long process. And in fact, we paid a lot of money. It, it, it came at a great cost to us to pursue this emotionally, physically, financially. And we pursued it. And we went after him when he was not looking for us. 
And when we went and we brought him, we picked him up, we brought him home. I gave him my last name. That's the greatest thing I can give anybody. I gave it to my wife and I've given it to my children. And he has my last name and that nobody can take that away from him. And one day I'm a pastor. It's not going to be a great inheritance, but there is going to be an inheritance. And he gets it. He gets that inheritance because he has my last name because he's my son. And that's what God does for us. God pursues after us when we're not looking for him. That's what we're taught in Romans. No one seeks after God. He pursues after us. He picks us up. He brings us into his family. He gives us his name where we can call God father and Jesus brother. And we get an inheritance, an inheritance that is greater than any inheritance you could ever have. And we get it because we are his, because he pursued us, because he adopted us, and because he keeps us. There's nothing that can ever remove us from God, just like there's nothing that can ever remove Andrew from me. And so that's the way I always communicate it. it came, and it came at a great cost. It cost God the life of Jesus. He laid it down so adoption could be possible. And that's, um, that's how I always relate it, is, in that, is that, that pursuit, that cost, that name change, and that in- inheritance. Yeah, that's a powerful reminder. Is there anything that you feel has been unsaid about your story that I, I didn't ask you? Yeah, I think the only thing unsaid I would say is it's messy. Guys, you're, you're going to get into it, and uh, you know we're not going to share the mess of our family on, on the podcast, and I know you would never ask me to do that, but it's hard. I mean, it is hard. There, there will be trips to the therapist. There will be trips to counseling. There will be questions you're going to ask, and you just ask those questions, and you go through it. And it's messy but it's worth it is what I would say. That's, that's really great. If you wanted one thing for people to know about adoption, what would that yep. be? The one thing I want them to know is one that's messy. Yeah. And that it's worth it. It's, it, it's absolutely worth it. But if you're listening and you're going, I'm in my sixties, I can't adopt. You can be involved in adoption. You can't adopt in your sixties. Don't close the door on it. Right. But you can support a family in your church that's adopting financially or providing meals or praying for them. You can do respite care through foster care and say, hey, we can take kids on weekends or on vacation. Um, I don't care what stage of life you're in. You can get involved. And in fact, I would say you're commanded to be involved from Scripture. Not everybody's, not everybody's called to adopt. I get that. I wish they were, but they're not. But we're all commanded. We're told this is what pure religion is, is care for widows and orphans. So if we are Christians, if we have that name to us, you need to be involved in some way, whether that is babysitting for a family that's trying to unite uh, and going through the foster care process, trying to get their children back. There's a way to do it. So find out how God has called you to be involved in adoption and get involved. That's awesome. Yeah, they can do that at tbhc.org. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do that. Go to the website. Go, 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 go. Yeah, Awesome. Well, man, it has been a pleasure having you on today. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate your story and just inspired by it. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.